And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. The Jets deliver a day after Christmas gift on Sunday with a 26-21 win over the Jaguars. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Opening presents if you were doing that. Hey everyone, Tim McMaster here with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. I will check in with you guys first before we get to Zach Wilson's progress, update on the draft, how the Jets came out of this game with a win. Would they have been better off losing? All of that. But first of all, how was your guys' Christmas? You want to go first, Marissa? Um. <laughs> It was it was weird because um, a lot of my family unfortunately has COVID, so um, it was very small. We had um, it with the people that have just. Is that real people small COVID. or Marissa family small? Like it Marissa family members. small. Yeah, it was so only sixty. Like, you guys had a solid twenty three. No, there was only like <laughs> there was only like ten people, um, which like I have twenty one first cousins, so and the aunts and uncles, and you know, but it was still very nice. I got to be with my parents. Um, Got to watch the Browns game. Unfortunately, another heartbreaking loss. Um, but yeah, another it was start nice. for Michael though. Uh, yep, um, very proud of him. Um, but another, you know, nice time with family. So yeah, it was a good time. How about you guys? Ailey's first Christmas. Yes, it was. It was fun. A lot of fun. Um, family. What house number are you on right now, Tim? Is this like house <laughs> house, house number, number seven? House yeah. number two, yes, the backdrop has changed if you're watching on YouTube as I moved from- So is uh, the zip code and state. My, <laughs> my in-law's house to my parents' house. Um, but yeah, we head back to New York tomorrow uh, for Christmas number three, just for the, our small little family. So Connor, how about you? Do you get any presents now when you have a kid or do the presents for you stop when the kid comes into the picture? Yeah, the three-month-old went my, to the uh... store and got him a present. No, She's they're... a present enough. Come on, she is the greatest gift, right? Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, we yeah, still bullshit, got man. some stuff, but it was, it was definitely uh, way scaled back. Yeah, the, I think the <sighs> people kind of, the way it works is basically, at least in our families, is people basically spend the same amount on your family, but the ratio ah, drastically changes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like instead of being like 50% on me and 50% on, my, on Mandy, it's like 70% on the baby. <laughs> we oh. split what's left. So. I think that's Man. how it should be. It should I be. Know. Connor, Connor seems like he loves gifts. So like, I love little... presents. I do. I love presents. <laughs> I, I'm a big. I'm a big gift guy. That's one of my love languages. Is the uh, gift giving. So I'm. I'm big into the. Uh, I'm big into the, uh, the. The present giving. So it was fine. Like I, I like it. Like what was awesome though about this year. It's the most relaxing Christmas I think I've ever had because Bree and I are married now. So we changed from Bree buys for my sister and I buy for my sister. So we put what. I usually spend on my sisters and what Bree spends on my sisters and we combine them and just got like, instead of like two fifty dollars gifts, you get a hundred dollar gift, that kind of a right. thing. But the best part about that is I didn't do any shopping. So literally I, the only Shopper. person I shopped for was Bree. The only person I had to rap for was Bree. Bree did everything else. It was like the easiest Christmas in the world. Now she was obviously stressed out of her mind and like running around like a tornado over the last four days. Cause we also hosted Christmas for the first time. We had my family, uh, Bree's obviously a nurse. Her mom's a nurse. And so it was kind of like a mishmash of where everyone was going to be because Bree's mom had to work at the hospital. My sister was with her boyfriend's family. So like Bree was like, well, we're this is our last Christmas in our apartment. Why don't we? Yeah, yeah I know. No, I got it for Bree, though. I got love it. language I like is receiving note. gifts. Yeah, my love language <laughs> is receiving gifts. Yeah. Um, for our audio listeners, we got a message from Evan in the chat that says his love language is gifting, but he didn't do any of it. Ha, ha, I did it for ha, Bree. Ha. I did it for Brie. I, I did. I did good. I did good this year on Brie. Um, but my sisters were so it was literally just my mom and my sister. And then Brie's mom was gone. Her stepdad was going to his family's house. So Brie was like, it's our last Christmas here because we're buying a house. So it's like, why don't we like do like have people here because it's our last one and kind of celebrate it. Because, you know, we got you know, when we got engaged, this was where we had our after party and everyone came here for it and stuff like that. So 
Uh, we had my mom, my sister Madison, uh, Bree's two sisters and her one sister's boyfriend over, watched the games, ate food, uh, and had a great time. You know, we did gifts, exchange it with everyone. Bree got me my Scotty Cameron putter, my dream putter. I got her. Uh, and then I got her tickets to uh, San Francisco because we're going to go to uh, Napa Valley. So it was uh, a good uh, a good Christmas, a fun Christmas, an awesome one. Like I said, it's going to be the last one in this apartment for us. And then we're going to have babies where apparently all my gifts are just going to be given to a toddler so that, that can't even appreciate it and doesn't even see when they're first out of the womb. And this is going to really make me so angry. I still want my gifts. So I'm, I'm going to have to we're going to have to have a Connor. Connor caveat into this. I will say I this still... after after Ailey's first Christmas, Connor, that the first one, because she's three months old, I still got to open all her gifts. So there was that. True. And you're like, ooh, blocks. <laughs> <laughs> blocks. Ooh. <this>. Teething toys. <laughs> I will say this. And then we can get into like actual sports stuff. My my godson is three now, three and a half. So he is now at the age where he's starting to like he actually like plays with things and he actually does things now. He's not just like a blob and like all that stuff. Like he, he's like he has like a personality now. Like you can see like a little person. It's kind of cool. Like he holds conversations with you. He knows who you are, like all this stuff. We love him more than anything. He's also like I said, he's my god's son. He's a guy and he's very much a guy. So we went to the store and Bree was like that. I, sh- I actually lied to you guys. The two people that I shot for were Caden and Bree. Because I took over. I was like, no, no, no. Uh, it's wrapped up, so I can't show you guys what it is. But to go down the guy toy section again and see all the newest like superhero action figures. And he's really into dinosaurs and the new Jurassic Park movies coming out. So we got him a giant uh, T-Rex one. And Bree's like, oh, I found this one online that lights up. I was like, that is a kid's toy. No guy is going to want that. He's going to want this. And I pull it out, and it's like this <laughs> giant tyrannosaurus rex and she's like i'm not paying for that i was like yeah you are we're splitting this one too and we checked it out and i wrapped it up and we're gonna see them on new year's eve we go there every year for new year's eve i can't wait to hand that to him so it's gonna be a good time but shopping for him was fun because like i got to relive it now if i have like all girls which i do want girls like i want to be a girl dad and all that stuff but like it's gonna be a little rough like shopping for makeup and barbies like i want to get like i want a boy and a girl so i can buy the boy all the all the fun like guy stuff and then live vicariously through him again Sure. Well, we're just going to buy getting... the girl those toys. Too. Exactly. That's, that's, a, that's yeah. My if my plan. girl wants Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rexes and stuff like that's fine, too. Yeah, yeah I'm not, I'm not going to go get cancel cultured because I just said that. <laughs> but I will say that, like, Brie has two uh, Brie has two sisters, both younger than her. And we went to her family's on Christmas Eve because, like I said, her mom had to work on Christmas Day uh, at the hospital and sitting back with her stepdad and watching like Brie and her two sisters open up like cliche stereotypical girl gift after girl gift after girl gift was like very very boring for like there was no like electronics there was no action figures it was like makeup stuff and all that which again like that's what they wanted and that's cool and that's like great and stuff but like oh like i was like man how do you do this like every year he goes yeah he goes you kind of just get used to it. You know what I mean? Because like when I was there, like my sisters would open gifts, but I still had my toys. So I would get my that kind of fun stuff. But this just seeing like girl gift after like one girl got like a mattress pad. The other one, they got all these different highlighters for their faces and something called an underwater brush. And like, I don't know. I'm like sitting there like, God, I'm like going crazy here. Like we got to get some. And then luckily her sister, Allie, got a, got a uh, laptop, a new laptop. So that's where I was like, let's go. Like, oh, I can play with that one. But it was pink. So I was like, oh, come on. So even that had a, had a girly twist to it. And I realize now I'm probably gonna get cancel cultured. <laughs> Connor hates girl gifts as girls can't play with footballs. Like that's it's gonna be like the next thing in my mentions. But positive is is like I will tell you what, guys, last 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 point. I stopped looking at those mentions after that uh game. Um the one before this one. I can't even it's all like mishmash. Was was it the well, same? you spent you spent one evening doing getting in the mentions and then you call it off. Yes. Yes. So I was in the mentions on, on the, on that game. Um, and then the day after the game and then like, I got home and like, I was in like an angry mood and Bree's like, God, why are you being such a dick? Like, like what's wrong with you today? Like, it's like three days from Christmas. And like, I started telling her about how like these people that I don't know said something to me and it really pissed me off. I'm like, Holy shit. What is wrong with you? Like you are actually now letting these stupid things on Twitter, like impact your actual mental health. I was like, okay, we're we're done. And I cut it off. And I'm not going to lie. It was kind of like a withdrawal where it's like, you know, the first two days, like you want to go back into the mentions and look ever since then, haven't thought about him. I am like positive Connor on like riding into wherever I'm going on, on, on sunshine and like clouds and all this stuff. So it, it's, all been, right. uh, it's been nice. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that's also, a great transition. Positive. You want a teaser trailer? Show. You want a teaser trailer? The fact we're going to take phone calls now too. We're going to take calls on starting Friday. Why show. don't we say this? We're going to try to. We're going to try to take phone just calls. Tells people things that yeah. we have not experimented. It adds pressure yet. on he you guys. He hopes that I can figure it out. So. That well, now you will. If I just yeah, let I it go, like see the when we when we texted so. about this last week, you just let it go. Like I said, I was like, yeah, let's try to do that for next week, and it kind of was put on the back burner. But now that I've made it public knowledge that we will be taking it, I know how you are as a person, having gotten to know you over these last two years. Where now you won't let it fail. You're much like Connor Brie. You're like, like now no, it's now it was- you can't let it fail. So now it's going to work on Friday. You like brought it up like two days before Christmas and you're like, hey, yeah, we should do this. Okay, sorry, I wasn't like Christmas morning opening my presents. Like, hmm, how can I take callers for Connor? But we will figure it out (laughs) and try and get some of you Jets fans on here live to ask Connor uh, some questions. Why I suck. Why I'm so negative. No, only I'm nice sure cursed things. me out. Why I should get yeah, nice. There's no dump button on here. So we're just going to have you might make editing a little yes, harder. That'd be cool. Yeah. I don't know. No, if we can yes, like, we'll definitely bring... be dumping. <laughs> oh, I just removed. And Connor, Connor has been dumped. Wow. That was cool. Right, but it doesn't erase the last seven seconds. It's not like we're on a tape. No. delay. Right. So it'll still be on YouTube for all to live. So, you know, you, you know that'll be fun. But I think it's going to be a good time. I'll add something different to the show, and especially we're reaching the point now where, like, okay, they're not going to get Aiden Hutchinson or Thibodeau, and and obviously we're all going to be watching Zach, but they're going to get their butts kicked by the Bills and the Bucks. So it's like, what are we going to do? So let's just bring people on and talk to them about what they want to talk about. We'll be like Mike Frances and the Pope, and just eventually be doing a show where all you do is take calls. It'll be fun. There you go. Yeah, we won't have Zach to plan Wilson. anything. Calls right, and I'm- rants. That's what it's going to be. The can't wait podcast. <laughs> can't wait calls and rants. Uh, all right, let's get on to the game a little bit. We wow, eleven minutes in. Uh, Zach Wilson. So it was funny. I, I have to admit, I so I watched this game after the fact. I couldn't watch it live, um, and so Building I saw the blocks. stat. Yeah, yeah. I saw the stat line first, and I was like, okay, Zach threw for a hundred yards. Okay, ran. That's good. But like looking at the stat line, it was less. It wasn't overwhelmed. I was kind of like, that seems bad, and they won the game, so lost draft position. But then you actually see the performance. And Zach Wilson took a step forward in this game. Uh, the numbers I mentioned, 14 to 22, 102 yards. Touchdown, no turnovers, though. And the big rushing um, game, 91 yards. That's a Jets rookie record. 52-yard touchdown, which was electric. Um, and I think you could say, Connor, and we'll get more into details, but he out he way less yards, but he outplayed Trevor Lawrence. I thought so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, this, this was a guy like, like uh, Zach Wilson played without his top three receivers. He, he played without... Corey Davis, he was without Elijah Moore, he was without Jamison Crowder, you know, and and you can make the argument he was out there basically with two wide receivers, be considering just how much regression Denzel Mims has experienced over the last couple of weeks. I mean, that fourth down play where Zach was basically on his hands and knees praying for Denzel Mims to do something in the back of the end zone, to use that 6-3 body, that physical body, that athleticism to separate from the Jaguar defender, and I can't even name players in Jagu- in Jacksonville secondary, but to separate from those players, get open in the back of the end zone so Zach could at least throw a pass up for Denzel to use that leaping ability to go up high point a ball and bring it down for the first touchdown of his career. A second-round pick with two games left in the second season who still has not scored a touchdown, which is just absolutely unbelievable if you think about it. But the fact that like that that's the that's one of the players he's playing with. The guy runs out of bounds, which makes him ineligible anyway. I mean, just pathetic. So he's playing basically with Braxton Berrios and then the land of misfit receivers on the other side, where you're rotating in Jeff Smith and Denzel Mims and and Keelan Cole and all these other guys. And he's already been without a tight end throughout the course of the season. He's without three starting offensive linemen with Makai Becton, uh, LDT, and Elijah Vera Tucker. He then loses Connor McGovern for what looks to be a serious knee injury uh, throughout um, in the second half. And and he's out there. And I think for the first time, what you could say about Zach Wilson today is that he legitimately did elevate the play of those around him. I thought he made those receivers, absent Denzel Mims, who's probably a lost cause at this point, better. He made Tyler Croft better. He made the offensive lineman better. He helped the ground game be better. I mean, he executed the offense, but he also elevated the play of those guys around him. It was when things weren't there, he made plays with his legs. When guys dropped passes like Jeff Smith did on the skinny post, but it was wide open, whether it was Ryan Griffin uh, also open, drops a pass. When those guys dropped the pass, instead of going into his shell, which with a lot of rookie quarterbacks would do, he kept firing and kept going. I mean, Braxton Berrios, the, the 12-yard conversion on third and nine on, on the 10-play, 72-yard drive that put the Jets in a position to kick a field goal, that 
um, that play, the, the conversion, was probably the biggest play of that drive, of that game, because the Jaguars can just go right down the field and kick a field goal in that one. And and for him to basically hit Braxton Berrios in the exact, exact same play that Jeff Smith dropped and hit him with that dime, that laser beam for the first down, I thought it was better. I mean, he avoided, like I said, avoided the turnovers. Completion percentage was up. There was only one short pass that he missed where he just missed Tyler Croft to the right, which was an issue. I mean, there were, yeah, there were a couple near interceptions, but a lot of them weren't his fault. There was one where, like, a guy that was standing up got it deflected in the air, nearly picked. Then Ryan Griffin doesn't bring the ball back down. It's popped up into there. That one's nearly intercepted. Those aren't Zach Wilson's fault. And the one that was almost picked on the diving attempt to Denzel Mims, Denzel Mims ran the wrong route. So everything you wanted to see from Zach Wilson with a depleted offensive line, a depleted defense, a depleted receiving core, the running ability was there, making plays when he had to put the team on his back, and it wasn't going to be the receivers who made it, the running backs or or the the uh, the tight ends, and it wasn't the offensive line. He had to make plays with his legs. He made plays with his legs. He was more aggressive, something that Michael Floor challenged him to be when running the football. He was more aggressive, and you saw that 91 yards, a, a, a quarterback record, a quarterback rushing record for this franchise. Accuracy was better. Uh, command of the offense was better. Like I said, elevating the play of those around him. It was everything you wanted to see. I mean, the Jets won this game in many ways because of what Zach Wilson did. And yeah, you can point towards the kick return for Braxton Berrios. That was a major play. But Zach Wilson played, in my opinion, his best game of the season. And you can look at the numbers, they only 106 yards. You know what? That number is going to look a lot different if Jeff Smith catches that pass. That play, Those numbers are going to look a lot different if Ryan Griffin catches that pass. Those numbers are going to look a lot different if the Jets are playing a third and goal at the one-yard line on that final possession and somebody doesn't jump off sides to back it up five yards, which, by the way, on that play, Zach Wilson executed it perfectly. He put the ball in a spot where it was either going to be a completion short of the goal line to keep the clock running and make the Browns use one or the – I'm sorry, not the Browns. thinking uh, Michael Dunn in my head as I see a Browns highlight here to the left. Um, to, to put the, the, uh, the Jaguars – yeah, the Jaguars in a position to use their last timeout – wasn't going to be an incompletion, wasn't going to be a turnover, wasn't going to be anything bad. He put them in a position there with that pass where he's either going to get in the end zone or be short and cost him a timeout, still kicking a field goal to go up more than three points. I mean, I loved everything that I saw from Zach Wilson. I really did. Could, could, there, could it be better? Yeah. But what do you expect when he's playing with some of the things that he was playing with here? You know what I mean? Like you saw a young quarterback go out there and help his team elevate the plays of those around him and make his team better and put him in a position to win and they won. It was a step forward for Zach Wilson. You flip on the other side of the tape with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, yeah, he had better numbers when you talk about the passing yards, right? And you had maybe a couple more flash plays, but what did Trevor Lawrence do during that game that made an impact on the game, right? Is there one throw that you can point to where you're like, yeah, that changed the game. Is there one run where you can point to and say, yeah, that changed the game. There were some blunders. I mean, he has this weird tendency that when he's feeling pressure, it's almost like he reverts back to where he's the most athletic person on the field and just starts running backwards. You know what I mean? Like, there was a, a sack fumble on C.J. Mosley, which um, uh, I, uh, Ronnie Blair recovered, where Trevor Lawrence sees the pressure coming. It's like second down or something like that. And he basically drive kills because he turns around and just starts running backwards. Then the ball is punched out by Mosley. The Jets recover, and it sets up a score for them. You know, it's like, or that might have been the play actually um, that the Jets actually did not score on that one. That was when they ran the fake field goal. So, but it still put the Jets in a position to score points there. And I'm sitting there watching it. I'm like, why is he doing that? And and it was almost an identical situation when uh, on on the it, the corresponding drive from Zach Wilson where he drops back, he feels the pressure instead of running backwards and trying to loop around and cost his team 10, 15, 20 yards or fumble like Trevor Lawrence did. He puts two hands on the ball and starts moving forward. He's either going to gain yards with his legs or he's going to at least mitigate some of the loss of the sack or he's going to see someone break open and can throw the ball. He ended up getting sacked, but he's dropped down. The Jets are facing a fourth and five instead of fourth and 15 or he's fumbling the ball. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you can point towards the statistics and the numbers from Trevor Lawrence. There was nothing that Trevor Lawrence did aside from, I think, one throw that ended up being broken up by Bryce Hall where I was like, you know what? That was, that was really impressive. Everything else, I was like, man, the... Running backwards, that doesn't make sense. And again, like the one thing to take into consideration is Trevor uh, Zach Wilson was playing with nothing on offense. The Jets were just as depleted on defense. I mean, Trevor Lawrence should have thrown for 400 yards and five touchdowns against the Jet defense. He should have just eviscerated this defense. And instead, the Jets pretty much kept him in check. 
They really did. They kept him in check. And it's you can blame the playmakers Trevor Lawrence has. His playmakers were better than what Zach Wilson was dealing with. You can blame his offensive line. His offensive line was better. The Jets were starting both Greg Van Roden and Dan Feeney. Like, that's not good. Like, that's, that's like, awful. And they still ran for the 273. They still had success with Zach running the ball, had success with Zach throwing the ball, put up points. Like, there was a lot of good that you can take out of this game. And if you want to compare apples and oranges, number one pick, number two pick, I came away more impressed with Zach Wilson. There was nothing that Trevor Lawrence did in that game that made me say, like, wow, he didn't make a difference. Take the numbers aside. Show me one play that made the difference for Trevor Lawrence for the Jaguars to win that game. It's not there. It's not. And you want to, like, people are going to go number, honey. I know I'm going to have all five people that live in Jacksonville Beach and watch the Jaguars, probably in my mentions that I'm not reading, screaming and yelling about how, oh, yeah, look at this bum. Oh, look at this blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm sorry. He didn't do anything different. He didn't do anything that made a difference, in my opinion, in that game. And the Jets won. And he had a chance. And he didn't do it. And and for me, give the advantage to Zach Wilson. It's a major step in the right direction. And now you hope this coming game against the Buccaneers, the Jets are going to get a slew of those players off the COVID list. Maybe they'll get lucky and Elijah Moore can come off the, uh, the injured reserve and they'll get a receiver back or something like that. And you can see him play a very good team, a very good defense, and maybe show some similarly promising things. Uh, but as far as if you're looking for something end of the season to hang your hat on, forget draft position, all that stuff. Hang your hat on the fact that your young quarterback took a legitimate step in the right direction. I thought played one of the better games of the season. Yeah, the tests will get bigger the next couple of weeks, but it was good to have this one under his belt. On the touchdown pass, too, I thought it was impressive. Yeah. He, he finds the tackle eligible, who was not the first, second, third option. It was a play that kind of broke down. He kept his feet, he kept his head, and he, he found the big man in the end zone. I thought that was impressive. As well, you mentioned the running game, and a big part of that was Michael Carter. And you know, the 16 carries, 118 yards. It's they missed him when he was out. It's just he's just has something different that the other. I know they do running back by committee, but he does mm -hmm. something that those other guys just can't do. Yeah, and, and you know what's fun is that like when the Jets view Mike Carter, they don't look at him and say like feature back. You know, they don't say like 30 touch a game back. To give you guys a um, an idea of where the Jets want this offense to go, they want Mike Carter to be part of a one-two punch. They want the lead horse back and then Mike Carter. That's what they want their backfield to accomplish. And it's it's not you're not going to find those guys in one year. You're not going to find it. You know that's why they have the Tevin Coleman and they had Ty Johnson for a minute and they were working in Austin Walter as well and they were kind of having that three-man rotation. And now Mike Carter is number one followed by Tevin Coleman, but they want to basically have this to the point where they get a, a really, really good back as their one, and then you have Mike Carter as a number two, and you can feature a running back of those two guys. But I think what's fascinating about Carter is that he really is a, a do-it-all player. You know, I don't think there's any one thing that he does great. I don't think there's one thing that he does perfectly. I think that he's a player that just does a lot of things really, really well, and he's going to be the great Robin someday when the Jets and, and hopefully if the Jets can can piece this offense together in the ways that they imagine they can with this scheme and with these players and with this coaching staff, you'll have Mike Carter be the Robin to somebody else's Batman. And then when you loop that into a receiving course that is Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and a true number one X receiver, and then hopefully the Jets get some tight end that can actually play tight end and the offensive line continues to have talent infused in it between the middle rounds of the draft potentially early rounds of the draft, and then also in free agency, you're going to have an offense that's that's really going to be humming. I mean, you've got a good group now. I think you can – the one thing about the Jets' offense, and, and it, it, it obviously is all going to fall on on Zach Wilson's shoulders, right? Because if the quarterback doesn't develop and the quarterback doesn't take the step the next forward, it's, it's all going to be for naught. You know, like, like I mean, look, make, make no mistake about it. Zach Wilson's not a proven product right now. This this game was a major step in the right direction. I thought he made progress. I thought it was one of the best games he's played all year. But he still needs to get significantly better than what he is now. And I think when you get him more pieces on the line, a true X, a real tight end, and keep building out this roster, you'll see that. But when you look at the Jets' offense when it's healthy, and you look at the pieces that are there when the Jets' offense is healthy, I mean, you can see the makeup starting to come together. You know what I mean? Like, there were, there were a number of years when Mike McCagnan was running this team and when they were starting, where you looked at the Jets roster and pretty much said, oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, you looked at the Jets roster and said, God, they need quarterback. They need wide receiver one through three. They need offensive linemen at left tackle, left guard, center, right guard. Right. I mean, it was just like they are basically starting from scratch. You're not there yet. 
You know what I mean? Like you, 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 Zach Wilson, again, obviously he's the wild card. He's the X factor. He's the one that's going to make everything work. You know, you can have the sports car, but if there's no engine, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, that was the old Willie Cologne analogy. Quarterback aside, you have the guy, though, that you, you the Jets believe he's going to be a franchise quarterback. You then look at running back, right? It's not complete, but you got a big piece there in Mike Carter. Offensive line, not complete, but there are some pieces there that you actually really like. Connor McGovern's taken a step forward this year. Elijah Vera Tucker, big player. The Jets, they need more out of Makai Becton. They want to see better work ethic. They are There are some concerns there with him. But if he mentally, if he between the ears checks in and determines that he wants to be one of the best, he has talent that other people just can't coach. So you have left tackle. But then you also have George Fant, Morgan Moses, who you can retain, who at least one of them is a great swing tackle. you got all these draft picks to continue to build out that offensive line. At receiver, right? We've always talked about Jets need playmakers. Jets need playmakers. you got Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. That's two or three that you need. Now you just need to find your number one receiver. Again, Jets have so much money in free agency. They have the massive amount of draft picks where they can go find that player. Suddenly the receiving core is taken care of tight end. You can draft one of those guys in the second round, third round and immediately get an improvement of what you have right now with Tyler Croft and Ryan Griffin and Trayvon Wesco. You can get something better there at tight end. That piece on the offense, you add a little bit more to the offensive line. You add a number one receiver, you add a tight end, you add another running back to pair with Michael Carter. That's four pieces away from having an offense that legitimately, and considering what we've seen from Michael Floor, who we're going to talk about in a bit, that's legitimately has the potential to be a very, very, very good, potentially great offense if Zach Wilson develops. Like, it's there. Like, you can see it coming together. You can see it developing and moving in that direction. You actually have a, a, a group that you can finally follow the vision of. It's not... A, okay, well, you know what? We're going to have to trust the Jets in this regard. Or it's no longer blind faith when you talk about the construction of this offense. You can see the vision. You can see the, the, the place where they're trying to go. You can see how they are building this thing, how it's coming together. And you can say, like, I know this is going to work. They still need some more pieces. They're not there yet. The tra- but the, the train is on the tracks and going in the right direction. And, and Mike Carter, big piece of that. Zach Wilson, big piece of that. A lot of the guys that are on the injured list, big piece of that. But it's coming together, and it's kind of it's fun to watch. It really is fun to watch. Obviously, like I said, X Factor Zach Wilson, but it's it's fun to see this thing kind of coming together in real time. And you mentioned Mike Lafleur. We are going to get to him before that. A quick break, though. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We talked about all the pieces that were missing on the offense, on the defense too, but on the offense on Sunday. And that challenges the offensive coordinator to maybe be a little more creative, do different things. And Mike LaFleur, and we were hard on him for the first month of the season when this offense was struggling and didn't seem to have any um, creativity to it. But man, oh man, Connor, we are now with a couple of games left in the season and to see what he does now, what he's done for most of the season after those first three, four weeks, um, it seems like the Jets really have a good one calling the plays on the offense. 
Yeah, and, and, and I mean, look, they, they were dealing with some quarterback issues those first couple of weeks. I mean, Zach Wilson just, just wasn't very good before the injury, and, and Zach Wilson really wasn't good the first couple of games outside of the injury. I mean, if you want to point towards the turnovers, I mean, yeah, but the completion percentage was still alarmingly low. He was still missing passes. The offense wasn't scoring points. They weren't even eclipsing 300 yards. I mean, there were, there were issues after injury and before injury with Zach Wilson that I think was stunting the growth of this offense. And then when you had – more proven quarterbacks, guys that have been there, done that a little bit, and Josh Johnson, who played some, and, and Joe Flacco, who played some, and then obviously the Mike White experience there against uh, Cincinnati. What you had, I think, was an offense that you really started to see the way that this thing can work when it's firing on all cylinders. But, yeah, I mean, I think Michael LaFleur deserves a ton of credit because the way that this offense has come together and, and the way that this offense is now starting to work and starting to execute, you're seeing – creativity you're seeing intelligence you're seeing a playbook now that is as diversified as I think I've ever seen during my tenure covering this team right I mean we, we've talked about this one before right because I, I started covering the Jets in, in a part-time capacity in 2014 then I, I was full-time in 2016 when the ledger hired me after I graduated from Monmouth this year is the very first time that I can say that I can remember saying that another team literally watched a Jets game and stole a play from their playbook. If anyone watched Sunday Night Football last night, I don't know when you eventually gave up on on that because I, I I've covered some bad games. I've never Sec- seen a second team just, quarter. I got to the uh, second just quarter. Go belly up. I mean, just like a, a you know you, you see a dog and the dog wants to play submissive and it goes belly up. Like I mean, that's what Washington did. I mean, that was pathetic. But I think the only play that that the Cowboys didn't effectively run was when they stole Mike LaFleur's hook and pitch it across the field play that he ran successfully for a first down on third and 15. I mean, it was a carbon copy of the wide receiver runs a drag, flips it to the outside receiver where the Cowboys ran a drag, tried to flip it to Cooper, and it was actually going to work, but Cooper bobbled the pass, and obviously the play was stopped. That means that the Cowboys watched what Mike LaFleur drew up in 11th grade and were like, that's awesome. Let's put it in our playbook. That's Super Bowl winning coach Mike McCarthy, Pro Bowl All-Pro quarterback Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, the high-powered NFC East winning Dallas Cowboys, who for some who some people believe have the talent and ability to go to the Super Bowl, watched something the Jets did and said, I want to do that too. Like, you want to sign a progress? You want to sign that this thing's headed in the right direction? You want to sign that this is actually working and that yeah the Jets still need pieces they need to build around they need players it's not there yet but it's going there it's heading in that direction you have a team like the Cowboys stealing concepts from the Jets and so much credit needs to go to Michael Floor because look I mean it, this guy we, we talked a lot of what Adam Gates didn't do with the players that he had right because when he lost Brashad Perryman and when he lost Robbie Anderson because they let him walk and then he lost Denzel Mims to the hamstring injury he was having to go out there and, and try to make plays work with guys like Lawrence Cager and Braxton Berrios and Jamison Crowder and all these guys, right? And he went out there with his offense, and it didn't work, and it got run into the ground. And when he lost Sam Darnold and he lost Trevor Simeon, he had to do it with Joe Flacco in 2020, or then he had to do it with um, uh, Luke Falk, right, and, and David Fails the next year. I mean, it was just... It was just going into the ground. It was just a failure on so many levels. And you pointed to, well, they just don't have playmakers. They just don't have talent. They just don't have this. They just don't have that. Well, Mike LaFleur is not right now faced with the same issue, right? The Jets played a game on Sunday without three of their starting offensive linemen. They then lost a fourth offensive lineman to injury in the game. They were without their top three receivers. They were having to trot out their Keelan Cole, who, yes, he's a better receiver than anything Adam Gase had when his guys went down over the last two years. But then he had Denzel Mims, who, like I said, has regressed has regressed substantially. Braxton Berrios. And you've seen a coordinator say, okay, you know what? I know I'm down my guys. I know that organically, if we just try to run our offense, it's probably not going to work. So we're going to have to get creative. We're going to have to try to do some things that maybe you don't necessarily see in order to gain yards. And he's had to dig into that bag of tricks, whether it was the double passes, whether it is the end of rounds, whether it is the receiver throws. I mean, he said the play that Braxton Berrios scored on last week where he ran around the edge, that was a receiver pass. Braxton Berrios was going to throw that ball. That was a receiver end around throw. And instead, Berrios saw a hole, so he ran through and he scored against the Dolphins. That was supposed to be a throw. 
But then that was like one of three or four trick plays that the Jets ran in that game to move the ball down, to set themselves up with a position to win. He's getting creative. He's showing ingenuity. He's showing so many different things that you haven't seen from a Jets offensive coordinator since I have been here. I mean, I covered part of, of like Marty Morningwig. Then there was John Morton, who I thought got a very raw end of the deal. Like I actually thought Johnny Moe was a, a decent offensive coordinator, had potential. But Brian Heimerdinger felt that Jeremy Bates was the smartest man in the room. So Brian Heimerdinger forced John Morton out and made Jeremy Bates took over. And we all know where it's gone down from there. And then after Morton, obviously, like I said, we went to Jeremy Bates. And after Jeremy Bates, it went to the Adam Gase era and things like that. But this is like the first time where it's just it's just different. You know what I mean? And, and it, it look, Michael Floor is obviously not going anywhere this year. I, I doubt that he's going anywhere next year. But you can tell that this is going to be an offensive corner that Jets don't lot keep for very, very long. You know what I mean? If this thing, if the Jets can build this roster the way that Sala wants it, the way that LaFleur wants it, the way that Ulbrich wants it, if Joe Douglas can succeed, and, and I have some of my reservations about Joe Douglas. I mean, you can't fault anything that he's done in terms of, of acquiring draft assets, but if he has another draft like he did in 2020 and 2022, I mean, he's going to be out of a job. Sal is going to be fired and, and, you're going to have LaFleur probably going back to work with either Shanahan or his brother because, you know, you, you can only do so much without the players, and it's Joe Douglas's job to get the players, and it looks like he successfully did that in 2021. I don't know if he did that. He did not do that successfully in 2020. That draft is a disaster, but if he can successfully get these players, the Jets aren't going to hold on to LaFleur for very long because this guy's going to get a head coaching job. I mean, you can see his vision. You can see the way that he's building this. You can see how plays in the first quarter come back for something he's going to run into the fourth. I mean, there's just a a, a smooth, fluid, play-calling methodology to what he does that's just really, really cool to watch. And I think some of what LaFleur has been doing has been stunted by the ups and downs roller coaster of Zach Wilson's rookie year. I think if he had a quarterback that was much more polished, this offense would really be firing. If he had the number of players on his offensive line healthy, not hurt, and the same thing with the receiving core, the offense would really be firing. But you can see from a play-calling standpoint that this guy's got it. Now it's about giving him the players to thrive, giving him that number one receiver, giving him that tight end, letting Zach Wilson develop. Because if those things happen, I'm telling you, this Jets offense has the potential to be one of the better in the league. Like, it really does have that potential. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. I'm not saying that is blind faith. I'm saying you can see things on games. You can see things in games on Sunday that make you say, like, you know what? The Jets have something here, and it's something they haven't had in a very, very, very long time. It is exciting, and it's, it gives you a reason to tune in in a season where obviously there's no playoffs coming or anything like that. Just to see this progress, to see the fun plays that are being run is is cool. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on National and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, all right, so the the downfall of winning and the Jaguars not getting in to win it at the end of the game was the draft position. I guess ideally the best possible scenario for the Jets would have been Zach Wilson played the way he did. They're in it the whole game. Maybe they lose right at the end and they get closer to those top two picks. And obviously that would be the two big pass rushers, Hutchinson and Thibodeau. Those seem gone at this point. Uh, the Jets... Seems solidly in that four spot. Maybe they can squeak up, but but Jacksonville and Detroit have separated themselves. But let's get into the draft overall because it goes beyond that. And other things broke the Jets' way again uh, on Sunday. So the Jets right now, number four with their first pick. Seattle has the game in hand at home in the snow against the Bears and somehow lets it Saint slip Nick, away man. on Sunday. Man, oh man. So they they move back up now to number 7. So Jets number 4, number 7, 
number 35 is their pick. Carolina seems just falling apart right now. They lose their fifth in a row. Sam Darnold comes into the game in that game because Cam wasn't doing anything. Sam Darnold gets booed upon entering the game at home again in Carolina. They lose their fifth in a row. So then it's so it's 4 7 35 40. Then they go 69 108 115 144 156. It just it just looks great at this point. Obviously a couple weeks things can shake up, but not too much. Things can't move around too much in two weeks. Yeah, it's, it's so the Jets, obviously, like you said, they hold four and, and six. And that, that Seattle pick is volleying because it's like the, the Seahawks have the strength of schedule advantage over the Panthers by like point. I think it's point five, one, two, eight compared to point five, one, two, nine or something like that. Michael on any was like big into the the numbers and, and kind of crunched all those things that much more, much more of a mathematician than I ever have been, ever will be, or could ever dream to be. So he's he's great with all the number crunching and stuff like that. So I, I know I saw his tweet the other day that kind of broke down just how far. I mean, Tankathon has three decimal places. I'm pretty sure Michael went to like 12 different decimal places like to find out how that one worked. So credit to him uh, for that one. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it's the the hope of the Jets finishing with the number one or number two pick in the draft is is pretty much shot at at this point. Like it's, it's, it's very, very, very unlikely that that's going to happen. And uh, it's... It's a shame because if obviously if from that perspective, because if Trevor Lawrence had squeaked that one across the the goal line from one yard out and the Jaguars won that game, the Jets would have kind of had their cake and eaten it too in terms of Zach, uh, uh, Zach Wilson took a legitimate step forward. You still lost the game, so you get that number one or two pick, and you're going to get Thibodeau from Oregon, and you're probably going to get Hutchinson. Now, obviously, it's going to come down to strength of schedule. Texans right now have that advantage over the Jets at 4-11.492, but obviously the Jets would have been ahead of them because they would have only had three wins when the Texans won. So uh, it would have positioned the Jets almost perfectly to have the number one or number two pick in the NFL draft. But this point here, yeah, they, they lost out on Hutchinson. They lost out on Thibodeau. The Jets aren't just a pass rusher away from being good. You know what I mean? They're not just one player away. I mean, they still need a lot. And when you take into consideration the sheer number of draft capital they had, and again, like we said, it's on Joe Douglas to pick the right players because he did not pick the right players in 2020. I mean, P. Ryan can't get on the field. Morgan is not on the roster. Zuninga can't get on the field. I mean, he's not even a, a, a playing a, an abundance, massive chunk of the snaps, despite the fact that Jets' defensive uh, meeting room was ravaged by COVID. Like, that's a concern. You know, Denzel Mims, your second-round pick, literally has two games left in his second season. He has still not caught a touchdown. I don't think he has double-digit catches this year. I mean, he started the last two games and doesn't have a catch in either of the two games he started. Like, that's a that's a problem. Like, that's an issue. And you used a second-round pick on that guy. So if he can repeat the 2021 class, that looks really good. But 2020 looks bad. I mean, he's that, that's, that's going to be an issue. But when you just look at this capital, yeah, okay, fine. You lost out on the top two picks. You can still find a legitimate game changer at number four, and there still is the chance the Jets can go up to number three. They're going to be jockeying with the Texans because the Jets are going to lose out the final two games. They're going to they're going to be jockeying with that strength of schedule advantage with the Texans going forward. Now, the Jets obviously play the Buccaneers and Bills, so that's not going to help the strength of schedule. Those are two very, very good teams, so that's going to force that number to go up quite a bit. But the Texans with Davis Mills have been playing some pretty good football. It's not out of the realm of possibilities that they win one of these final two games. So the Jets could be picking number three. The Seattle pick, obviously, you're going to see where that falls. I think at this point, it's pretty obvious it's going to at least be a top 10 selection. So the Jets are going to have number three or four, and then another pick in the top 10. And with those two selections, you can go offensive lineman. If you see a dominant offensive lineman, you can go Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of, out of uh, Notre Dame. That would help the team. I don't necessarily know if that's something the Jets would do. I don't think this defense requires that important of a player on the back end to to justify that high of a selection. I know he's a good player. I just don't think this defense needs that safety. I don't think it would benefit them as much as, say, an offensive lineman would in that position. You know, Maybe there's another pass rusher that comes out of nowhere that kind of skyrockets up boards that the Jets are in consideration for there. Either way, you can go offensive lineman, defensive back. Stingley scares me with the injury, but still you can have him there. Stingley, offensive lineman, Hamilton receiver with the second first round pick then you go into the second round that's a perfect spot to find an offensive guard to kind of have your long-term solution at either center or right guard maybe even a right tackle if you bring back Fant let him start on the right side Becton on the left but if Becton struggles Fant goes left the rookie goes in at right something like that I mean the Jets have the means to really turn this one around and I think what I've been fascinated to see the development of 
is not only that Seattle pick, and everyone wants to talk about that, right? Everyone talks about the Seattle pick because the Jets are going to have two top 10 selections, potentially two picks within the top seven. I mean, that's absurd. But that Panthers second rounder just keeps getting better and better and better because Matt Rule's team right now is a dumpster fire. I mean, literally, there were fans not only booing Sam Darnold, whom the Jets got a second round pick for, but chanting about fire Matt Rule. I mean, that's just getting worse and worse and worse for them, where that second round pick is going to be just as valuable as the Jets' first round pick. So it's it's it just keeps getting better and better and better when you take into consideration this draft picture and the draft outlook. And I, I felt I feel like a broken record, man. But as long as the Jets can find a way to select the right players, this coming draft in 2022 has a chance to be franchise altering. I mean, this can be the days, this this Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this draft where we look back in five or six years and say, that's when the Jets became a perennial playoff contender. That's where the Jets became a legitimate Super Bowl contender, is that that draft. Now, obviously, it can also go the complete opposite direction, because if the Jets whiff on these picks and don't get it, like I said, Robert Sala fired, Mike LaFleur fired, Joe Douglas fired, and the Jets going to be restarting this entire thing, and all of it's going to be for naught. But if it does go the right way, and if it does go well, look out. I mean, this is why, like, we were, you know, I saw it, uh, Shield, Shield, our Shield, tweeted out about how, you know, over the last five years, the New York Jets and the New York Giants have this same, are tied for the worst record in the NFL, right? Like, the, the Jets and Giants are tied for the worst record in the NFL. Shield tweeted that out. I think what's fascinating is that when you then compare the state of those two teams, when you compare where the Giants are and where the Jets are, but neither of the teams, you know, the, the Jets haven't made the playoffs in 11 years. Giants haven't made the playoffs since the boat picture, right? When you compare those two states of those teams where they are right now, you could not have more polar opposite opportunities, right? The Jets have a general manager that obviously there are some questions there, but you believe in him. And he has done a whale of a job acquiring the draft assets to turn this team around. Yes, has to pick the right players, but the assets are there. You've got a coach that is a culture builder that the vast majority of players, fans, and management believe in. He has rounded out a staff, specifically with Mike LaFleur, where you can say, you know what? That's a guy that knows how to coach offense. And not only does he know how to coach offense, that's a future head coach. You have a guy in Jeff Ulbrich who, before this defense was just absolutely dead, before a bad defense was then decimated by injuries, was building game plans the first month of the season that were turning heads to the point where you're like, holy cow. The Jets have a hell of a coordinator on their hands in Ulbrich. Then injuries happen, and now apparently everyone hates him, and, and he's an awful coordinator, blah, blah, blah. But you give the guy talent, he's going to turn it around. I can tell you it's going to happen again. You have a ton of cap space. You have a quarterback on the rookie end of his deal who you still believe in. You have all of those draft picks. I mean, yeah, the Jets are not, the Jets need pieces. The Jets are nowhere near. The Jets are not close to a playoff contender. But you can see the path. You can see the vision. You can see the assets. You can see that they have the means to turn this one around. Then you look at the Giants. I'll be honest with you. I don't think there is a worse position in the NFL than the Giants. I do not believe that there is a team in a Jacksonville, Carolina, any other team of all 32. There is not a team in a worse position than the New York Giants right now. You have a roster that is littered with awful contracts, underperforming awful contracts. You had a lame duck general manager who you brought back for this year because you almost made the playoffs at 6-10, and 10, who then went batshit crazy in free agency, giving even worse contracts to Kenny Galladay, who's not very good, a Dory Jackson, who is not very good. You are now going to look to replace that general manager with a new general manager, but you were telling that general manager, per Adam Schefter and ESPN, you have to keep the head coach... Who is done? Uh, who sits there and talks about you know we're gonna punch you in the mouth? We're we're a hard nosed team. We're gonna fight hard for sixty minutes. Whose team is was bad last year? Barely, uh, almost made the playoffs at six and ten because the NFC East was a disaster once Dak went out. To now this year is just arguably the worst team in the NFL. But you've got to keep him and you got to keep Daniel Jones, who I'm sorry is not very good. So you've got bad contracts. Yeah, you got two first round picks, but horrible contracts. A coach you have to keep a quarterback you have to keep, and a general manager has been told you're going to be saddled with those two guys. Now go rebuild us. And a fan base who is just on edge of like, we want success, we want to rebuild. And a man, an ownership who clearly is stuck in their own ways trying to teach the, to, uh, build this thing. Like it's still 1986. Like it is just polar opposite teams. And again, it's all going to come down to acquiring players. It's all going to turn down to some of the things you're putting faith in. Zach Wilson is good. 
being accurate and being true. But you can see where the Jets are headed. You look at the Giants and you're like, who wants to be a part of that? And it's funny. It's it's fascinating to watch. It really is. I think it really is fascinating to watch those two different two two polar opposite situations. One other thing I wanted to touch on on this episode, and that is uh, Ron Middleton stepping in to fill in Robert Sala out with COVID and Connor. Um, Sala obviously involved in all the preparation for this game. Um, some weird. There was some weird calls in the game that I'm not sure Robert Sala would have gone for, yeah. but. Um, Overall, it's a tough situation, and the Jets got through it. They get a win in a game where they're missing their head coach. I think you you have to credit an entire staff for that. Oh yeah, it goes to that goes to Lafleur, that goes to Obrecht, that goes to every positional coach. It goes to Robert Sala managing from above. I mean, look the the fact that the Jets won a game without with twenty players on the the COVID nineteen list and their head coach and their quarterbacks coach, and they won a game. And not only just missing players, but missing some of their game-changing players. Like I, I mean, again, it's a broken record, but three starting offensive linemen, plus a fourth that left, three starting receivers, a defensive line that was without their two best players in John Franklin Myers and Quinton Williams, and Foley Fatukasi going to loop in as the third, a secondary that that uh, Ulbrich said to us on Thursday, I can't tell you who's going to start at safety. They started a guy in Will Parks that they signed this week. And they started a converted sixth-round pick in Pinnock. Like, and they won the game. I mean, that goes down to coaching. That goes down to players. That goes to, down to game planning. I mean, it, it is a, it's, it's a hat tip for all those guys involved. I know the Jaguars suck, and they do. They're a disaster. But you still have to give credit to the Jets because they shouldn't have won that game. They shouldn't have. With what they were dealt with that week, they should not have won that game, and they did. And they deserve an awful lot of credit for doing so. All right, and we're going to continue this discussion on later in the week. Thanks for everybody for watching and listening. Big crowd this morning. It's amazing what happens when this team comes through with a victory and the quarterback plays well. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in live. If you're listening after the fact, um, give us a rating and review. We love that as well. You can save 50% off. A Oh, no, we have a – Marissa, do we have a special deal going? Yes, we do. So you can subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash can't wait for $24 for 12 months. It's a no-brainer. I think I'm just going to toss to you at the end of every episode so I don't have to fumble around with what, what the best deal is. But yeah, really yes. good deal going on uh, right now. Connor said it. We'll try to make it happen. We're going to take some calls coming up on Friday. Getting you ready for Jets Bucks. We'll talk to everybody then. <laughs>